has, has also held several nursing positions in the area. She serves as a consultant to area healthcare related agencies and has a faculty position at Emanuel College. And she belongs to quite a few professional organizations, including the Nurses Association and the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. Has quite a few certifications and has authored and co-authored publications on AIDS and HIV. And she's presented on a variety of topics, including clinical trials, AIDS and HIV, and investigative research. And she's also an active volunteer. So thank you, Lenore. Thank you, Laura. Can, can everybody hear me? Can you hear me back there? I just want to make sure you can hear me. You're probably um, saying, why is that lady saying that so much? But anyway, um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself and my story about research before I got started, because I think that's really important about how this talk will go today. So um, you heard Laura say a little bit about my work in HIV. So my research started as a, a research nurse years ago. I worked in intensive care unit when I was in my early 20s, in the early days of HIV AIDS, before we even knew what it was. And as a nurse in intensive care unit, I was taking care of all these young people that were dying of this devastating disease. And it, I was depressed. I needed to do something differently. And when a colleague became infected with HIV, I took him for some of his research appointments. And somebody said to me, um, do you want to work here? Do you want to work with us? We can't get nurses to work with us. I said, yes, I want to work with you. And that became my journey of over the last 25 years of learning about research and really valuing research. And I'm really happy to be here today with all of you as you talk about decision making and dementia. because. Dementia research is a field that's just beginning to really grow and take off and emerge. And I really need to impress upon all of you what your role is in educating people about research and how you can play an integral part in being as passionate as I am about moving this disease forward, just like other diseases have moved forward. So that's a little bit of a beginning of my journey and we're going to take it from there. So I want to thank the conference organizers, particularly Laura, for all their work in getting us going today. So, so I think a lot of uh, people know about the Alzheimer's Association, but not everything that we do. Um, I like to talk about it in three areas that we uh, do work around um, cause, letting people know about uh, uh, the Alzheimer's um, uh, disease and what's going on with uh, Alzheimer's and other dementias because we just don't support people with Alzheimer's. All dementias are supported through the Alzheimer's disease. So our WALK program um, is a big awareness uh, program. We do a lot around care, so supporting people uh, with the disease. Our uh, free helpline, our uh, care consultations, our support groups. And then we also have another area where we support people, and that's around cure. And that's going to be the focus of my talk today. So this just gives you a little bit of a synopsis of, of some of the types of things we do. And I've also brought you a pamphlet to reference as well. So if you want to know more about the work that we do. The one place that people don't look a lot is for information online for the association. I encourage particularly professionals to take a look there because there's more and more information um, being offered online around diagnoses, around research, around things that are happening that I think can help you, the people that you serve. Um, there's a caregiver center, an e-learning center. Um, there's a community research resource finder where you can find resources in your area. 
And that area covers 300 points of services across the United States. Uh, Mass New Hampshire is one chapter. We work with 14 partnerships and we work with, I can't tell you, countless numbers of volunteers that support us and help us with our work. So like I said, I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about the cure side of uh, what the Alzheimer's Association does. And you might not know this, but the Alzheimer's Association is the biggest uh, nonprofit funder of research in any place in the U.S. or internationally. They've given out about $300 million in research grants. Um, they convene people in lots of different formats through the research roundtable where they brought, bring industry and investigators together to talk about the importance of research and where they're going to go next through some of the amyloid uh, imaging task force and the neuroimaging task work that they do. This year at our international conference, AIC in Boston. Did anybody go to the AIC conference in Boston? Aubrey was there. Great. Um, we had a, over a thousand people come together to talk about imaging. That's how fast that area is growing. Um, we also have our own journal, uh, Dementia and Alzheimer's Journal. Um, we have a Pop the Cloud translational research program where we work with new investigators. So there's lots of work that we do around moving the science forward. In this area alone, um, over half a million dollars in research has been given out. Um, a couple of studies that were looking at imaging and one at basic research. So uh, Dartmouth has been funded. And the reason why we're doing this, I think you already know, speakers earlier today have alluded to this. Um, Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause of death. And as we all live longer, we know this is a little bit more than memory loss. This is devastating. And none of us deserve to be robbed of our memories when we live longer today. And we also know that the challenge began over 100 years ago, that Dr. Alois Alzheimer's first identified the first case of what we now know to be Alzheimer's disease in a 51-year-old uh, woman, August D., who had profound memory loss, confusion, language uh, difficulties, and suspicions about her husband and the medical staff. We know now that that was early onset Alzheimer's, and on autopsy, they found plaques and tangles, brain shrinkage, and vascular changes. Um, and we know now that plaques and tangles continue to be the hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. Um, plaques build up. Um, they're known as amyloid. You'll hear me talk about amyloid and tangles as bra brain uh, structure breaks down, tangles uh, form, and that's the tau protein that we'll be talking about. We also know that brain vascular changes uh, are very common, like those seen 100 years ago. Widespread inflammation occurs in the brain cells and disruption of the critical processes that include cell-to-cell -cell communication, ed energy production, waste removal, and other housekeeping functions. So what happens is here on this side, on the right-hand side, you have a healthy brain, and on the left-hand side, you have a brain with Alzheimer's disease. And as one of the physicians I work with, Dr. Aliatri, says all the time, brain death, it's organ death, just like any other organ in your body. Your brain is dying when you have Alzheimer's disease, and it's critical that you're diagnosed and you're paying attention to this awful disease. So, and this is the sad thing. As we live longer, you'll see in purple here, I'm going to just go up here to show you, but in purple, um, 
we have a 68% increase in uh, deaths from Alzheimer's disease. And you might not be able to see this as well out there, but in the green, we have a 23% decrease of stroke, 8% decrease in prostate cancer, 2% decrease in breast cancer, 16% decrease in heart disease, and a 42% decrease in HIV. So, and that's because of research. That's something that we can be really proud of that we have done. And if you look globally, you look that if you look at funding trends overall, the U.S. in the red, the last column over, is one of the poorest areas of directing new funds into research. So the money is just not going there the way it used to be. Um, and if you look at funding that comes out of the NIH, you'll see that Alzheimer's disease is the least funded area. So compared to HIV, which is funded almost six times as much, and heart disease, much more than that, and cancer, much more to that. So there's a correlation. Advances in research are related to funding. So that's something we have to do a better job at. And the Alzheimer's Association is working on that. They have a huge advocacy program where they send advocates down to Washington, D.C. They have moved that bar up, but not where it needs to go. So we know for every, for every $28,000 we spend on Medicare and Medicaid, we're only spending $100 on research from the NIH. So that's something that we need to change. And you might wonder, does the public care about this? Does the public care? Well, I think they do. About 25% in a recent survey that was done through an advocacy forum, 25% of Americans rate Alzheimer's as the disease they are the most afraid of getting. One in seven, aged 18 to 34, fear getting Alzheimer's more than any other disease. That's dramatic for young people. So people are concerned. One in 10 Americans in this younger age group are very worried that they're going to get this disease themselves. They've seen grandparents, older adults, they're concerned. We also know that it's no longer an emerging crisis, that Alzheimer's disease is here. Uh, you've heard some statistics already. Over 5 million people have this disease. And currently, it's estimated that we're, it's about $216 billion in unpaid care that we're providing with Alzheimer's disease. So what can be done besides advocacy, funding? Well, research. Research is what can be done, and that's what we're going to talk about. There's no cure yet, but there's definitely things to do to help uh, delay uh, symptoms and manage life. And we have several uh, new trials opening, including prevention trials, which I'm going to be talking to you about. Um, advances in research give us hope. And the only way to get research accomplished is by research participation. And that's why I'm hoping to give you a little bit more information about that so you can all be advocates about research. But first, people need to know they have the disease. And we heard about this earlier, okay? And many Americans do not know that they have the diagnosis. It's about 75% of Americans now know somebody with Alzheimer's disease. Just raise your hand. How many people here know somebody with Alzheimer's disease? So a significant amount. And about 42% have a family member with Alzheimer's disease. And we heard some of this data earlier. About 89% of Americans say if they were exhibiting confusion and memory loss, they would want to know. 
And we know that early diagnosis is critical. It leads to better outcomes. People get access to treatments. They can build a care team. They're able to manage medications better. They get counseling. It addresses driving and safety issues. And they can enroll in a clinical trial. They're not going to be able to enroll in a clinical trial if they're so advanced in the disease. It's not going to work for them. So we need to be looking at them much earlier. We also know that one in four people seen in a memory clinic with cognitive problems are sometimes found to have a reversible cause. So they might have depression, vitamin B12 deficiency. Um, so it's important that we get people who we think might be having problems with a dementia into a clinic and looked at. And it's important that we stop just thinking about clinical trial for people that are dying right at the time of a serious disease because people are going to die from dementia and Alzheimer's disease if it's not treated effectively and if we don't have effective treat treatment. And the Center for Clinical Research Participation, um, which is an NIH-funded group in Boston, has done a lot of research around this. And we do know that people will consider talking about a trial um, when faced with a, a life-threatening illness, but not often before. But we do know that research significantly changes the course of disease. Look what happened to heart disease. You know, in 1980 from 2000, you know, heart disease was dramatically changed. You know, look at HIV. HIV went from a disease where people were diagnosed, died acutely, to a chronic disease where people are living 20 to 25 years, taking one pill once a day. And that is the results of research. If you want to take a look, if you have time, look at the NIH Office of History, um, also a website called NIH Research Matters. Uh, two sites where you can look at what's happened historically in research and how research makes a difference in the importance of research. And you also have to remain optimistic when you're talking to people because even though it's been challenging with getting effective treatment for Alzheimer's disease, we've made amazing progress. And for every study that has not gone the way we wanted it to go, we've learned a lot about advancing this disease forward. We have FDA-approved treatments. We know we need to start treatment earlier in people and not wait till they're in the more advanced stages of uh, their disease. We now have biomarkers and uh, the ability to identify people through um, genetic testing. Um, we have advances in brain imaging like we've never had before. Um, through the work um, of ADNI and other groups earlier, we now have PET scan technology where you can actually see, you'll see in the bottom, uh, set of scans over here compared to the top set of scans in the lower left-hand corner, that yellow light-up is actually amyloid that can be visualized in the brain. And that's basically because now we have advanced the technology through research that we have two FDA-approved agents that can actually do that and show uh, imaging. But we need better strategies. We need to keep plaques from forming or enhancing in the, uh, in the body. And we need to be able to clear them. We need to pre prevent these uh, tangles. We need to target this inflammation. And we need to look at prevention strategies. 
We know in other uh, diseases, we don't wait to treat people until they have end-stage uh, heart disease or renal disease or HIV. All the treatments that have been tested and proven and where we've done a good job have been started much earlier before people had symptoms. Well, we need to do the same thing when we're treating people with Alzheimer's. So we do know that we've had several uh, trial failures and the trials that they've looked at look that they've been done much too late in the uh, cycle. So this is one of Dr. Risa Sperling's um, uh, slides, who's a pioneer in prevention research. And she talks a lot about uh, the research that's been done and how we need to do much more prevention research. And she has a big trial that's going to be starting, and I'll be giving you a little information about that shortly. So we need to intervene before dementia sets in, before irre irreversible brain loss. Uh, well, we still have time, you know, to change the course of this disease. And uh, we're heading in that direction. So currently, on the left-hand corner, in, it says tertiary prevention treatment. Uh, that's what we've been looking at, advanced disease, looking at research options. We're now looking where that red line goes up at secondary prevention. So people who are having early symptoms of the disease, starting research earlier and seeing what happens. The next generation of uh, Alzheimer's disease will still be based on a lot of the same pathology. So looking at amyloid-based um, approaches like secretase inhibitors, decreasing um, amyloid buildup in vaccines and antibodies to clear uh, that amyloid through immunotherapy, and we're also looking at some tau therapies. And in your packet, I've given you a handout. These are all the phase one and two clinical trials and drugs that are currently being looked at. And this should give you enormous hope, because this is how far the field has changed, that there's this many targets and research that they're looking at. This is good news for us. And even if they all don't make it uh, through, we're going to learn incredible things from them. And if you want information on what the agents are and uh, what they're being used for, I've given you a handout specifically so that you can review this because this would be an all-day presentation. We also have several agents in phase three trials looking at current FDA approval. And many of these will not make it through to full approval. Um, but they're in the phase three uh, stage, and they are being looked at. So it's going to be interesting for us to watch that. But my advice for you is when you read in the news reports, bad news, another Alzheimer's disease trial failed, think more about what's been learned by that trial. Because we are going to start seeing advances, but not all of them will be successful. We also need a broader pipeline. Uh, we need more options. We know that it might not be one drug. It might be a combination therapy like has been done in HIV uh, in, with chemotherapy, a combination approach. Um, and drug effect effectiveness will vary you know, with individual biology and tolerance. And specifically in Alzheimer's, we have complicated individuals. People are older. They're taking lots of prescriptions. Um, these can be exclusions uh, for some of the studies. Um, studies have shown that 10 to 27% of the people with Alzheimer's are probably eligible for the study. And that's even more important to look at when we think about referring people for research, that we might need bigger numbers to actually get the people that we need to work with. 
We also know that it's horrible that only 2% of people in the American public participate in research. That's a very low number. Um, and why people participate is different for everybody. Most people want to advance medicine, <clears throat> help improve the lives of others, help improve their condition, um, some to re receive um, a stipend uh, or receive free medical care. But most want to do it because they want to improve um, the lives of others and to advance medicine. We also know that women participate much more than men. And we also know by race that whites participate much more than any other um, ethnic uh, group. And this is an older slide. It's from 2001. In the 2013 data, uh, this has only increased by 1% in the minority category. And if you look at who's affected by race, you'll see that African Americans and Hispanics are affected much more on a much higher scale than whites are affected. So it's a, there's a big, whoop, I just, yeah, okay. And you might wonder why. So this is where we get to the crux of the problem right here. So the Center for Clinical uh, Research, uh, research um, Study um, actually did some surveys and looked at public attitude of research. And you'll see in this that um, a person who participates in a clinical trial was 9%, while a person who raises money for a charity race by running in a race was 10%. And a person who donates an organ, which of course should be 40%, and a person who gives blood, 29%. So people are fearful, and you can look at the, uh, the percentage of people that said they were fearful um, about clinical research participation. They, they still don't feel that clinical participation is safe. And if you look in 2013, the misconceptions continue. 34% of respondents felt that people who were a research participant were treated like animals, not humans. That's awful. Think about that. They should be thought about as heroes. They go first. You know, they, they participate in study to advance the world of science. And I think so much of this is because of the bad media um, coverage of research. You know, you really hear, hooray, you know, so-and-so participated in a 20-year clinical trial and did a fabulous job. You hear mostly the bad news about research. And things have changed dramatically, and we need to let people know that. But what do people say that actually participate in dementia trials? And these are people that actually have been at tables, at focus groups, that have talked to us, who have participated in dementia-specific Alzheimer's trials. And they feel like somebody's looking after them. They feel a lot less worried. They feel like the burden is no longer on their shoulders, and it makes them happy to be helping somebody else. And some of them who've even been on some of the more complicated trials, which have included a spinal tap and other things, feel like they would do this again. They feel like this is incredibly important, and they would do this again. And what motivates them? A lot of it has to do with the personal connection they develop with the team, uh, the investigators, um, they feel like the staff is knowledgeable and accessible. They get information. They feel the benefits uh, are that they have access to expert care. Um, you know, they feel like they're playing a more active role in their health care. 
But the problem is that not many people are asked. And this is where you get, get into this a little bit. We need to educate people um, about what's available out there, that there are options to participate in. We also need to let them know that over the last 50 years, research has changed dramatically. Um, for clinical trials, you have incredible IRB oversight. You heard about informed consent earlier today. Well, having worked on over 200 trials with, I can't tell you how many families, and informed consent can be 20 to 25 pages long. People are made aware of issues around what they're getting into in research. Um, more work has to be done on that. More research is needed. Uh, but people are informed better than they have been in the past. They also have data safety monitoring boards looking out over trials now in a much better way than they had in the past. In the past, often people were on placebo-controlled studies where no one was looking at the data for a very long period of time. And people want to know that if they enter a study and they are on a placebo arm, that if that trial is shown to be effective, that they'll get moved into the treatment arm. And they need to be aware of that and be able to ask those questions. So we don't have to advocate that people participate in trials because we wouldn't want to do that. But what we want to advocate is that they have the information to make their decision about that. Um, I took a class with an ethicist um, at the University of Virginia about 15 years ago, and uh, the professor uh, was measuring research responses through people who were involved in cl clinical trials. And I volunteered to participate in this study that he was doing. And what he said was actually very eye-opening. Um, he said it's not for us to uh, push or deny, but for us to open the door and give people education about research like we would with any other thing that we do, that it's an option for them. It's something for them to know about, to understand, and then make their own decision in regards to that. But there are barriers. You know, physicians, do we have any primary care physicians in the audience? Primary care physicians are busier than they've ever been before in their lives. They have about 15 minutes, am I right, to see a patient? Now, if you have a patient uh, with dementia and you're looking to get specialty support uh, for them, um, it's hard to think about other things. Um, but we know that in about 60% of uh, people that referred um, would have referred had they had the information. So they were lacking awareness, and that's why they didn't refer. And we know now through the Harris poll that's been done that people just don't have the time, and industry data shows us that it's even worse than that. So people just don't have the time to talk about research. And it's often because there's so much research now that's for volunteers, for families, um, for the community in regards to dementia. It's not just clinical trials for people with the disease. That uh, we need to talk about other people, the whole family unit, uh, the community in general, and let them know what's going on. So speeding clinical trials is where we need to go. And so, slow recruitment is uh, the second barrier to funding. And it's estimated that we probably need about 50,000 clinical trial participants. This is about how long it takes to get a drug approved. So if you're looking at a drug trial, it could be up to 14 years from the time they test the drug to actually get it into approval. There's all types of research studies. There's drug 
studies, which might be interventional. But then there's also uh, there's device studies, there's studies for caregivers, there's behavioral studies, there's all types of studies, quality of life studies, studies looking at um, economic benefit. Um, so there's not just one type of trial, there's all types of trials. And they range in phase from phase one, uh, which is about safety, phase two to see if there's any f effectiveness, phase three for approval, and phase four when they continue to collect more information on research. So what is our role really to state the facts, to provide resources, to provide information? Make it part of people's plan when they collect information is one thing that they might be able to do. Um, it's not always easy to enroll in a clinical trial if it's something that they're interested in. Um, we, the, Alzheimer's Association has a program to help with that. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But people often have to be persistent uh, when they want to be on a research study. They have to make multiple calls to a research center, talk to the coordinator, go for several visits. When people often ask me, how would I prepare, I usually tell them, well, you need to rest up. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gone in to talk to somebody who was reading an informed consent and they were asleep in a chair. You know, uh, that doesn't work if you want to have somebody informed. Um, you want to make sure people eat before they go for their visit so they're not uh, feeling like they have to rush out of there. People need to have their glasses. They need to bring uh, writing material with them. Obviously, if there's somebody who's dealing with the disease, they need to bring a caregiver, but I highly encourage if you're on a caregiver study or a volunteer study that you bring somebody else with you to help remember everything that you were told, to answer questions, to help you with your note taking. Visits can be long. People need to be prepared and go in and be uh, ready to have conversations. So the Alzheimer's Association because it gives out so much money in research and it cares so much about moving this disease forward, in 2010 started a program called Trial Match, which is a free educational research program for people interested in learning more about research. This doesn't connect them to a research study. All it does is uh, give them information. But what its goals are is really to move the science forward, to increase the number of people that would be enrolled in a trial, to provide information to the public, to researchers, healthcare professionals, and to educate caregivers and people with dementia about the association's programs. So this is just a little synopsis of uh, what kind of trials right now are available. On trial match, we have diagnostic trials, behavioral studies, natural history studies, supportive cares, other genetic and prevention. Some are simple as a blood draw or a scan, going in for a PET scan. Some are on an online survey. So for example, this study, which is being done uh, through MindCrowd, is looking for a million individuals between the ages of 18 and 80 to do a memory test online. And uh, the, the, everything is online. You go online, you have to register, and you fill out these questionnaires. And I like this one because I always send the younger staff who tells me I'm not forgetting their priorities to go do the memory test. And they always come back and say, oh, that was hard. I, I'm like, yeah. So. 
There's also lots of local research in the area. So, you know, be proud of what's happening in your backyard. Dartmouth-Hitchcock has a long history of contributing uh, strongly to the research. So, you know, look and see what's going on. Uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, uh, as a chapter, we're very lucky because we have a lot of research um, studies going on. I was just telling somebody at lunch today, we have about 46 trials open in the uh, Mass New Hampshire area, which is good. Some chapters don't have that. Two studies, I did a Google search just to see what was um, open at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock area, or what was uh, noted in case it wasn't on trial match, and I found two. And I, I knew that Dr. Santulli was a contributor to the ADNI work, the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative, and his studies are still open. He's not enrolling, but he's still contributing significantly to the data. And then Aubrey, who's going to be talking to you a little bit later on, She's uh, going to be talking to you about development and testing of an internet-based dementia decision aid for long-term care planning. So she has a research project going on. So that's good news for you uh, to know about and to share with other people. One of the big uh, studies that's going on in Boston that uh, hasn't opened yet but will open very soon and it has about 25 sites across the country is called the A4 study and it's the anti-amyloid treatment in asymptomatic Alzheimer's disease. And um, it's looking at people who are um, clinically normal but may be starting to have some symptoms who are age 65 to 85 who have evidence of um, amyloid buildup through their PET scan and it's a randomized trial and they're looking for a thousand people and this is one of those trials that's starting much earlier when cognition is just starting to decrease um, they're doing a, um, therapy to take a look to see where this goes and for those people that aren't um, able to enroll in the A4 study, they have a, another portion of this which is called LEARN, which is an observational study where they're going to take people that don't make it into the main study that might be eligible for long-term follow-up and uh, follow them this way. And these are, this is just an example of several studies. I wanted to give you a couple of examples. And um, this study um, actually has been supported by the Alzheimer's Association. And there's a YouTube video on this that you can take a look at if you're interested, and I've included that in your handout. So we're not just an organization that does um, care. We do uh, care, cause, and support. And we appreciate, uh, somebody else was telling me at lunch how they're involved in our walk and fundraising efforts. And we don't do this work without all of the people that collaborate with us. And we're really an organization of the people. It is, a, I think, a very grassroots organization. And um, I feel very proud to have been with them for the last couple of years. And I really appreciate and value you all coming out today and caring about this disease. And hopefully, you know, partnering with me to get the message out to people that we need to think more about research, create more awareness, and have people look at the opportunities available in research. Um, I just want to do a shout out to our 
team of 50 who just ran in the Boston Marathon. I like to mention uh, them. Uh, there was over a million dollars uh, raised in the Run, Try, Ride, and that's all going to probably go into research dollars, so that's a great thing. Um, so thank you, and I'm just going to leave you with never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, and you're that group, and I want to thank you for the work that you do, and um, the end of Alzheimer's starts with you. So if I can answer any questions, I'd be happy to. I'm also going to pass around a sign-in list for anybody that wants to get professional information from the association, and I'll leave my uh, business card uh, for you, too. So. I was wondering, so when people have the trials, what happens with their regular medication and their, their regular treatment? Well, it all, it all depends on the trial. You know, some trials people stay on their medications because it's not a drug interventional trial. If it was a drug interventional trial, they may be removed from medications. You know, it, it, it just depends. Um, for uh, people having mild symptoms, for example, for the A4 study, those people would probably not be on medications yet, so. Oh yeah, I I that um, I had made some changes in my slides, and I um, uh, it, it didn't come up for me. But there's a, a study called uh, the Diane study, which I have some information on, which is for the people that are um, gen genetically predisposed to the disease who are early onset, and people can register online. I, ha I can give you that information if you want. It's called the Dominantly Inherited Alzheimer's Network Trial, and they have just a registry where people can register to be part of a trial, or they can actually participate in a trial. So there's two things going on there, and they have multiple sites around. So I'm happy to give this to you. There's a lot of uh, research information on Trial Match. You can just either log on or call the 800 number and look. You can talk to a Trial Match counselor. It's free. You can ask them questions. You can do a profile for yourself if you're interested in doing healthy volunteer work. You can do a profile for somebody else. So um, there's lots of options. And like I said, it does not connect you to a trial. There's several levels after that. They give you a list. They give you information. They give you a list of trials that are happening in the area. And then it's up to you or whoever is interested in the research to then follow it through and get um, more information. And um, I'm going to leave a stack of my business cards, so, um, and I'll leave them out on the desk. And feel free to call me. I'm happy to answer any questions. And you know, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not a researcher, and I don't consider myself a clinical expert, but I feel I have enough knowledge to talk to people about research. I've talked to a lot of people over the years about research and the importance of research. So I just encourage you just to learn more about it and just not to be afraid of it and to share what you learn with other people so that we can really kind of change public perception. Because we wouldn't be here where we are today without research. And I think it's time we start to value people a little bit more on the value spectrum than what we do when they participate. So that, that's all I have to say.
So let's keep with a 15-minute break and come back at 2.45, um, and that way we can possibly leave